Let's get started this morning. Seems like everybody's in a pretty good mood and lots of smiles and things. And uh, yeah. Oh, well, yeah. I can, how, how can I tell you're smiling? Okay. Lots of laughs. Let me say that. Uh, you're right, Veronica. That, that's a good point. You didn't have to call me out on that. But, but uh, it's good. It's good to see. It's so good to see all of you this morning. It's good to be together. It's always a blessing to have guests uh, in, our, in our number. Go in your Bible, please, to Revelation. Revelation chapter 9. Revelation 9. We want to try to finish up Revelation. In fact, before going to Revelation 9, excuse me, go to Romans 1. I promise you Romans 1 on Wednesday. So you might want to put your Bible marker at Revelation 9. We will be there but I do want to read some verses to you from Romans 1. We're going to bow our heads and have a prayer. And then we're going to try to finish up the chapter. Let's pray together. Holy Father in heaven, we're just so thankful, God. We're just so thankful for all you do for us. We're so thankful, Father, for the access we have to your throne through prayer we're so thankful that we can talk to you at any time we desire through prayer. We're so thankful, God, you hear our prayers and you act on our prayers in a way that's always in our best interest. Father, I pray that you will bless our Bible study at this time as we continue working through Revelation. I pray, Father, that you will bless us with good wisdom and enlightenment as we continue to dig into the scriptures so that we can know how to live lives that are faithful to you and go to heaven. Father, thank you for this church family. Thank you for the leadership that does such a wonderful job in this place. Our elders, our deacons, our Bible class teachers. We're thankful for a great group of young people here. So many seasoned disciples as well who offer us so much wisdom. And they're just their wonderful example does so much for us. And we're thankful for them. We pray, Father, that you would just continue to be with us as a church as we try to shine in this part of the country. We pray, Father, that in our daily lives, not just today, but our daily lives, are always pleasing to you and bring you glory. Please, Father, be with those who are sick at this time and grieving and hurting. We pray for them, Father, that you will work in their lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Romans 1, let's start with verse 18. We're going to just read these verses, kind of let them just set up what we want to talk about for the first few minutes. We go to Romans 1. Remember, I used a New American Standard translation. And Paul says, the Apostle Paul says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth and unrighteousness. Because that which is known about God is evident within them, for God made it evident to them. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes... His eternal power and divine nature have clearly been seen, being understood through what has been made, so that they are without excuse. For even though they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks, but they became futile in their speculations, and their foolish heart was darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the incorruptible God for an image in the form of corruptible man and of birds and of four-footed animals and crawling creatures. Therefore God gave them over in their lust and the lust of their hearts to impurity, so that their bodies would be dishonored among them. For they exchanged the truth of God for a lie, 
and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who was blessed forever. Amen. For this reason, God gave them over, gave them over to degrading passions. For their women exchanged the natural function for that which is unnatural. And in the same way also the men abandoned the natural function of the woman and burned in their desire towards one another, men with men committing indecent acts and receiving in their own persons the due penalty of their error. And just as they did not see fit to acknowledge God any longer, God gave them over to a depraved mind to do those things which are not proper, being filled with all unrighteousness, wickedness, greed, evil, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, malice. They are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, arrogant, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents. Without understanding, untrustworthy, unloving, unmerciful, and although they know the ordinance of God, that those who practice such things are worthy of death, they not only do the same, but also give hearty approval to those who practice them. This church, this church that Paul wrote to, here in these verses, where was this church? This is Rome. And how does that tie to Revelation? Because we are studying about the enemy of God's people at this time, who was Rome. That's right. So just keep those things in mind, because we're going to talk about them in just a second. Okay. So right now in our class, this is where we are. We're right here. We're in chapters 8 and 9, finishing up 9. We're looking at the warning judgments. The warning judgments that God is giving to those who oppress his people. That's the first Six trumpets. There are seven trumpets, but we're looking at the first six that are blown. The seventh trumpet will open up the seven bowls of wrath. Remember the first four trumpets. What did we say connected those four trumpets right there? These are partial judgments, and God is actually affecting what with these partial judgments? This is the creation. This is natural disasters, it appears. So God is bringing about natural disasters in some way in the world at this time in hopes that it will bring the people where? To repentance. That's right. So that's how the first four seem to connect. They're affecting things on the earth, the natural parts of the earth. The, the next two offer even more severe judgments than the first. Now we looked at trumpet number five. We looked at trumpet number five last time, and remember we said that most scholars, or at least some scholars, attribute that trumpet to a plague of some sorts. And maybe you could see by studying that text where they would get that idea. But the way I lean towards, and you may disagree with this, that that's fine, but I lean more towards this language being a reference to the internal and moral corruption that was taking place in the empire. And I think that thinking there is consistent with what you find in the rest of the book, especially when you get to the part of the book where the harlot is introduced, when the harlot is introduced. That is one of the enemies, uh, uh, enemies of the book. And so let's go back and look at this trumpet a little bit further here. Let's go back to the text. Help me out here. Okay, so remember after the fifth trumpet is blown, what is opened up? What was opened up? And again, we're in Revelation 9 now, by the way. I'm sorry. Go back to Revelation 9. And this is all in the first 12 verses here. So what was opened up 
when the fifth trumpet was blown. The bottomless pit. That's right. And when the bottomless pit was open, what came out first? The smoke came out and the smoke was so brutal that it darkened what? The, the sun and the, and, and the air, the whole atmosphere. Now, we said that darkness in the Bible, typically when you have darkness mentioned in the scriptures, especially in the apocalyptic parts of the Bible, that darkness typically represents what? Evil, wickedness, sin. And I think that's maybe what this is probably referring to here, that this next plague this or this next judgment has to do with the corruptness of the empire the sin and the wickedness that had permeated its way throughout the empire. And I think even history could back us up on this, right? And how wicked and corrupt the empire had become. I mean, just think about some of the places that even the Apostle Paul traveled and preached in. Remember the city of Corinth. We'll talk about Corinth at some point in our second lesson this morning. Was Corinth a good and righteous city? It was a, a city that was totally wicked, gross, had places dedicated to sexual immorality as far as pagan worship. It, it was just an awful, awful place. I mean, we may think a place like Las Vegas is, is bad here, but I don't think Vegas had anything on a place like Corinth. So I think we have here the smoke darkening the sun and the air representing the immorality and the wickedness in the world, in the empire at this time. Then you have some creatures come onto the scene. What creatures come onto the scene and going back to Revelation 9, coming from the bottomless pit? The locusts. Locusts, when they're mentioned in the Bible, they're mentioned quite a bit. They always seem to be connected with some negative, some bad, right? So these locusts, they sting and they torment. They sting like scorpions. They torment like scorpions. They sting and torment who, according to the text? People who have not been what? Sealed. So this would represent the people who are not God's people. Because God's people in Revelation 7 were sealed. They were marked in some way by God, and they were going to be offered some special protection in some way, providentially, by God. Okay, but these people, they're not exempt from that. They're, they're going to go through this. They're going to be tormented. They're going to they're, they're going to want to die. Right. They're going to beg to die. That's how bad this is. But they're not going to be given that luxury. They're not going to get off that easy. They're going to suffer. These people who have not been sealed. They're going to hurt for a period of time. And as, as, as Sister Peggy alluded to a few minutes ago, the idea there is this is not God's full judgment. This is partial judgment. God's full judgment has not been unleashed yet. There's still time, even as bad as things are with the darkness in the world, there's still time for repentance. There's still time for repentance. You know, do y'all remember, and this just popped into my head. I can't remember where it's at exactly done, but it's in Leviticus somewhere. Um, when when God was using the Israelites to wipe out the people of Canaan, sometimes people wonder, why did God do that? Why was God just wiping these people out by using the Israelites? Well, there are some interesting verses, and I think there's one in particular in Leviticus. 
that said the reason why God was executing judgment on the Canaanites through the Israelites was because their sins had reached what? They had come up to him and they had reached, if this was a cup, they had got what? Yeah, they, had, they were not yet full. But by that time, they, got, they had got full. And God's like, time's up. So they had time. God had given them time prior to the Israelites to serve him, to get out of idolatry. But there came a time when God got fed up. And it's interesting how that same principle would later apply to the people he used to wipe the Canaanites out, and that would be the Israelites. There would come a time when their time would be up. And that ultimately, in its fullness, would happen at the destruction of Jerusalem when they rejected Jesus and they punished as a result. were punished as a result. Brother Don, yes, sir. Uh, through Amos, they used the idea of three gave four. I let you get by and warned you with these, but now judgment. The same. It's the same. It's the same pattern all the time. It's time for repentance, but God's patience has limits. That's exactly right, Don. So, so. Let's go back and um, let's, let's look at this a little bit more. Now, going back to these verses in Revelation 9, 1 through 12, I believe that all of this is symbolic for the internal corruption of the empire. I believe that what you have here ties with what Paul is talking about in Romans. In Romans chapter 1. Now, Paul wrote Romans a few decades prior to when I believe Revelation was written, but... Do things in a society, when, when they're bad in a society, do those things typically get better or do they get worse as far as righteousness goes? I mean, the, when, and I've asked y'all this before, but I'll ask it again. When some of y'all were children growing up, did you ever think we would get to a point in society in your lifetime where it be legal for men to marry men and women to marry women? Did you think you would ever see that? Did you think that you would live to see a day when boys can just say, I, I want to be a girl, and they can compete in girl sports, and vice versa, we have this gender identity crisis thing going on. Do you think you would live to see that? I mean, you see how think fast things go? When, when the door is cracked and when sin gets a foothold in a society, things never get better. They get worse. They always get worse. And, and, and so if we're thinking that the right politicians can come along and get the country back to righteousness. We're just deceiving ourselves. The way you get a society back to righteousness is through the gospel, not through people, not through politicians. It's through the gospel. You can't legislate morality. You have to get people sold on morality by putting the gospel in their hearts. That's the answer. Wouldn't y'all agree with that? That's what the Bible says. So I think this is representative of the internal corruption of the empire. The sin and wickedness that had just permeated its way through, the, through this nation. So let's go back to Romans 1 again. Let's go back to Romans 1. And I want to see what you notice there. Because I think Romans 1 can help us see a little bit what is so bad in the world at this time. How corrupt the empire had become morally. What are some of the sins you see there? And don't, before somebody just throws out homosexuality, I know that's the first one we like to throw out. Okay, that's just that's an obvious one. Okay, we know that's a sin. We call that out. But there's some other stuff going on that is just as bad. So what is it? Idolatry. Very good. I was hoping somebody said idolatry first, because that's the first thing Paul mentions there, is idolatry. 
there's a lot of idolatry going on. And if we wanted to define idolatry, and make it real practical. Idolatry is when you put anything above God. When you worship anything before God, when you serve anything before God, there's would you say there's idolatry being practiced in our society today. It's a lot of idolatry. Idolatry. If you look at the Bible carefully, the sin that plagues mankind the most. I'm not just talking about the Israelites. I'm talking about mankind in general. The sin that plagues mankind the most from Genesis to Revelation is idolatry. It's not homosexuality, although homosexuality is wrong and wicked. No doubt about that. But that's not the sin that pops up in nearly every book. In nearly every book, the sin that pops up is not homosexuality. It's not fornication. It's not disobedience to parents. It's not thievery or lying or stealing or things like that. It's always idolatry. Idolatry is the sin that men that has plagued men the most. Brother Gary, go right ahead, sir. Yeah, that's a good one. Haters of God, man, and that's where sin ultimately leads to someone hating God. Uh, we see that particularly with people who claim to not even believe in God. I see you, brother James. I'm gonna get you next, okay? We see that particularly with, with people who say they don't believe in God. It's amazing to me how when I watch people who say they don't believe in God, they're so hostile towards God. Have you noticed that? They're so hostile towards someone they don't believe in. Well, why is that? Well, it's because ultimately it's not because there's a lack of evidence for God. It's the fact they don't like the implications of God. They don't like the fact that God has a standard that goes against their standard. And they get angry about that because they want most people want to live their life doing their own thing. And they're going against their own inner will. Yes. That's, and Paul even says there's no excuse in that text for not believing in God. Why? Because of design, creation. Uh, so, so excellent observation. Brother James, go ahead, sir. What you say, Brother James? I'm sorry, sir. Not acknowledging God. That's exactly right. Verse 28, Brother James was saying the precursor to all the sins there was not acknowledging God. And you know what that really boils down to? And this is another sin. At some point, we may even have a lesson on that is very prevalent among mankind. That's pride. If you think about it, most sins are tied to pride in some way. Disobedience to parents. That's pride. I don't want to obey my parents. God says I need to do this. That's pride. Somebody who wants to stay in an unlawful marriage. That's pride. God says this in Matthew 19, but I want to do it my way. That's pride. Pride, if you stop and think about it richly, is connected. The, the non-acknowledging of God, the non-wanting to acknowledge God's law, all sins in some way can be connected to pride at the end of the day. My will versus God's will. And my will usually, at least I'm talking about generically with people, my will usually is the, is the will that's going, going to prevail, what I want to do. Uh, Brother Ryan, you have your hand up, sir. <laughs> yes, that's what it seems, isn't it? Uh, oh, Peggy, go ahead. Go right ahead, ma'am. Good point. And along with that, it says that they're inventors. <laughs> Inventing stuff. Man, that's a good one. And don't we see that today? Like, man, where did we come up with that? Uh, and, but that shows how sick the human mind can go when it's untamed by the word of God. It can the human mind can come up some of the with some of the most wicked and twisted things that we would think could never. I mean, where did that come from? And we're seeing that every day. I got idolatry. I got homosexuality, obviously. I mean, if 
Romans 1 probably just destroys homosexuality more than any other text in the Bible. It just, it just kills it. I got greed, murder, gossip is in there, pride, we mentioned that, envy, disobedience to parents. See how serious that is to God even. I mean, you said it, Ryan. You said it. I mean, it seems, it seems like they're all there. And even if they're not all there, I think this list is supposed is designed to be representative of all forms of wickedness at the end of the day. Uh, Brother Greg, right ahead, sir. Just real quick. When yes, sir. You know, what did, what did Solomon say? There's nothing new under the sun. You may have new technology and different things like that, but the principles are always there. The, the, the devil doesn't have anything new. He really doesn't. He's using the same stuff. He's always used. We just keep falling prey to it every time. So why change it up if it works, according to Satan? Uh, Brother Doug, and then we'll get ready to move on. Yes, sir. Doug, you got to speak loud because, man, you, had, you, you passed the second church. You didn't start a third church back there, so so go ahead. I shouldn't have called on you, Doug, because you, you took my thunder from me. No, that, that's exactly. Yeah. <laughs> but that's exactly the next thing I was going to say. All of these things, all of these sins we're seeing today are were prevalent in the first century Roman world. Even though they weren't as advanced as us, they were doing the same kind of stuff as us. Verse 24, and it wasn't just verse 24, but it was also verse 26. And 28 says that God gave them over to that stuff. Do you see that? He gave them over to that since they wanted to live lives of sin and wickedness. God wasn't going to stop them. God wasn't going to stand in their way. He instead was going to let them live how they wanted to live, but they were going to have to suffer the consequences as a result. But Brother Tom, go right ahead, sir. And if, if we give approval to the wickedness, it's just as bad as engaging in the wickedness. That's the point Paul's making there. And you're right. That, Brother Tom, that's also, that's, that's, it. that's going on today. Absolutely. Um, Brother Don, man, I got comments all over the book. 
Okay, Ned, you next, done, and then and then and then and then, we, then I'll get moving. Go right ahead, done. It's so bad you can't even say it, huh? <laughs> yeah. 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 Progressives now are looking at a progressive culture and the things that that progressive culture is advocating. LBGTQ is the result of the progressive culture that we are in. And it just keeps getting worse and worse and worse. They are progressing further and further, just like you talked about here in Rome. One, two, three. And it goes to what Peggy was saying about inventors. You keep you keep adding another letter the more you invent. And we haven't seen the right. worst of it. No, not even close. Not even close. Go right ahead and then Lisa, then we got we then we'll get moving. Yes, ma'am, go ahead. Absolutely. That's what happens when you get away from God. Children are impacted. Children are confused. Absolutely. No, that's a good point. Lisa, and then, then we'll get going. No, we're in Romans still, right, ma'am? Okay. Yeah. There's no ranking of sin with the Lord. We rank it. And a lot of times we rank sin based on the things we don't struggle with. So that's worse. I don't struggle. I mean, very few people struggle with that, statistically speaking. So that's easy to put that way up there. But how often do we hear people putting pride up there? Oh, no, we're not going to put that up there because we, you know, most folks struggle with that. So we don't talk about pride. Exactly. We don't want to talk about idolatry, really. We don't want to talk about gossip, really. You know, it's always these higher sins seems to be the ones that most folks don't struggle with. And that's a form of pride itself, if you stop to think about it. So I believe Revelation 9, 1 through 12, is making reference to the things of Paul in Romans 1. I believe Revelation 9 is referring to the sin that permeates its way through a culture and the suffering that comes as a result of that. And we've made this point very clear. And y'all did a wonderful job. Y'all did a great job emphasizing how this stuff is going on today in our culture. And if we don't get it right, and the key to getting it right is us, us teaching the gospel. If we don't try to get this right and help people come to Jesus, things are only going to get worse and God's going to get fed up. And his judgment will come in some way or form. One, 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 one way, shape or form. It always does. That's the pattern of the Bible. Okay, so we got, we got the fifth trumpet. Let me just... It won't take me as long to go through the sixth trumpet. The sixth trumpet is, is, is not as, as difficult, I think, as the fifth one was. The sixth trumpet, let's see what you got on this. Four angels. We got angels mentioned again. Four angels bound by what? 
What are they bound by? We're looking at, I'm sorry, Revelation 9, starting with verse 13. Revelation 9, starting with verse 13. They're bound by what? The great river Euphrates. The great river Euphrates. These angels that are bound by the great river Euphrates are released. That's not a good thing because angels are extremely powerful. These angels have been prepared for a period of time for this mission that they're about to go on. They appear to be strong and mighty. They have authority not just to torment and hurt people, but what authority do these angels have? To kill. These are going to kill. They're going to kill. And they're going to kill a third. There's that third again. Partial judgment. A third of what? They're going to kill mankind. A third of mankind. And then when we start with verse 16, verse 16 says it appears there's an invasion. An invasion of some kind on these enemies of God's people. Millions of horsemen invade the empire. These horsemen are described in a very apocalyptic way. They have breastplates of fire. The horses that they're on have heads like lions. And out of their mouth proceeds fire, smoke, and brimstone. So these are some bad dudes coming into the empire. Verse 18 again, a third of mankind is killed. Not everybody, a third. And so just look at this. This is what I want you to see here. These judgments have gone from natural calamities to now violence. You see that? There's violence now. No longer are people just being tormented. People are dying. There's a loss of life. And so what does this represent? In my judgment, and, and you may have a different view on this. I'm just going to tell you what I, what I think on it based on, on my study of it. I think this trumpet probably represents an external, external invasion. In contrast to the fifth trumpet, which was internal problems, I think the sixth one is an external problem. So we got the empire suffering from within and from without. And doesn't history also confirm that to us about the fall of Rome? Would y'all agree with that from your study? I think there's a military invasion. I think Rome started suffering at the hands of their enemies from the outside. Some suggest, and if you have a different one on this, let me know. But the one I saw come up the most from my study was the Parthians. Did y'all notice the Parthians a lot? Uh, I don't know if y'all have done much reading on the Rome-Parthian wars, but those wars lasted for several decades. And during that time, there was a lot of life, a lot of fighting, and many people who were in the territory of the seven churches of Asia, that Asia territory, they were caught in the crossfires of that. A lot of people died as a result of that. Uh, so, so that is one common thought, was this could be a reference to the Parthians invading the empire and the, the, this huge loss of life that resulted from that. Brother Rick, yes, sir. Yes, and, and, and that's a good point because on the other side of that, where the Parthians came from. Uh, and, that, and that could also be a reasonable explanation for why the Euphrates is mentioned there. These people are coming across from across the Euphrates to the east. 
So, so that's, a, that's an excellent point. Anyone else have something maybe you study that you want to share on that? That's, that's the best explanation, at least in my view, on this sixth, on this sixth trumpet that made sense to me. Brother Greg, yes, sir. Wow. Right. That's a that's a great observation. I hadn't I didn't see that, but that that's that's even that's very powerful there. This is going to affect everyone. Uh, absolutely. Good. Good thought. Anyone else? Brother Lance. Yes, sir. Yes. The way the New King James reads in verse 16 there is not very clear. When I read it, it makes me sound like this is an army that supports the four horsemen that we previously read about. And I'm not sure that's necessarily right or not, but it, it just reads a little bit different. Read that for me if you don't mind. It says, now the number of the army of the horsemen was 200. Yeah, and I, and I think that's still I think that's still a pretty good translation because I think in fact that may even make it a little clearer because I think I think this is still tied to those four angels, and I think the four angels here are the ones executing all of this. So these so these horsemen here, however you want to look at that, are still tied to that. These this is coming from them. Uh, so I don't have a problem with that translation. In fact, I, it may even make it a little clearer of what's going on. I think it, it ties it back to where it needs to be tied to, to the four angels who were bound by the Euphrates. Uh, so, so good, good, good thought. I, didn't, I hadn't read the New King James on that, uh, but I, I, I like that. I actually like the way that reads there. Uh, anyone else? Anyone else have a good thought, Lance? Anyone else? Okay, so these judgments. Let's look at the, the judgments as a whole. Okay, we got natural calamities. Okay, we got internal problems. We got external problems. We got a, a, an empire that seems to be suffering from problems from without and from in. Now, when a, when a, when a nation or an empire struggles from without and from within, what's the, what usually happens as a result of all that? It crumbles. It, and isn't that exactly how Rome failed? Rome didn't fall overnight. It wasn't built overnight and didn't fall overnight. It was a process. It was a process of external conflict and internal corruption. That's something that people who are not even believers in God acknowledge about the empire. And, and I think the Bible supports that if you take the view that this is Rome. Now, here's the main thing I want you to see. Look at verses 20 and 21, please. Okay, we talked about these these trumpets and whether or not you agree with me on the on the on the interpretation of them i think the key thing from this is however you take those trumpets what does verses 20 and 21 say the res happen as a result of them being executed they didn't, repent. they didn't repent and that's the main thing however you take it whether you think i was wrong on trumpet five or trumpet six hey that's fine but no matter which view we take on that, guess what? Neither one of them worked. These trumpets didn't do what God was hoping they did 
which was lead the people to repentance. They didn't repent. They continued on in their wicked ways. And so, so that's the main thing I want you to see there. Again, let's just read that for the sake of emphasis. Verse 20, the rest of mankind who were not killed by these plagues, if people survived these, these trumpets, these judgments, did not repent. That's the key. They did not repent of the works of their hands so as to not worship demons and the idols of gold and silver and of the brass and of stone and wood, which neither can see nor hear nor walk. So they did not give up their idolatry. And I believe the main form of idolatry being done at this time was the emperor worship. But we'll dive more into that as we move forward. And they did not repent of their murderers, nor their sorceries, nor of their immoralities, nor their thefts. Bottom line, they didn't repent of any of the stuff Paul was talking about in Romans 1. They didn't repent of all their wicked deeds. Things were out of control. And the people could not be brought to repentance, not even suffering, could get the people to acknowledge God. Brother Jamal and then Gary after that. You're going to offend a lot of people saying that, Jamal. You shouldn't. <laughs> no, I'm joking. I'm joking. <laughs> yeah. Now, we're definitely heading down that, that path. Brother Gary, yes, sir. No, that's a good point. I, 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 uh, if I had more time, I was going to at some point just go through a list, Gary, of all the different uh, cases of God's judgment on nations throughout the Bible. Sodom and Gomorrah, the Egyptian. I mean, there, I actually made a list of that before through my personal study. And it's just, um, it's just amazing. It's just powerful. It's the same thing. Same thing going on here. the Lord. Right. No excuse. And these people definitely didn't have any excuse because God had given them time. Uh, and, and so that's a, that's a great point. In fact, the last thing I want to say to you is with chapter 9 concludes with the sounding of the sixth trumpet. In keeping with the pattern we find in these series of seven, chapters 10 through 11, remember this, okay? These next two chapters are an interlude. In fact, this is the longest interlude we're about to study in the book. It's chapters 10 through 11. This break in the action is designed to give comfort and hope to the people of God during these difficult times. We need to try to keep this in mind as we try to interpret the visions of the interlude. So there's another interlude coming before the seventh trumpet is blown. And this is another interlude that has the same purpose as chapter 7. I'm going to comfort my people. Things are bad. And I'm about to wipe these people out, but I'm going to comfort you before I tell you how I'm going to wipe these people out completely. So God, that's another pattern in Revelation. God always pauses at some point and comforts his people before he pronounces judgment on the enemies. So this chapter, uh, chapter 10, remember this, is the longest interlude of the book. And as you read it, if you read chapter 10 over the next few days, I want you to watch out for this. There's three things. 
I want you to watch out for this. There are three things, key things in that chapter you need to notice. There's a strong angel mentioned in the chapter. He's not just an angel, he's a strong angel. There's a little book that is mentioned there. Notice the little book and what John does with the little book. And see if you can find something similar in the Old Testament with a prophet where the same thing is going to be done. And there are seven, the number seven, remember? Seven peals of thunder. So watch for the strong angel, a little book, and the seven peals of thunder. That's the key stuff in chapter 10. And we'll study that. We'll study that Wednesday. Y'all had great comments today. I appreciate you so much. Thank you for being patient.